0: Lord Jesus, we come before you, we thank you for who you are, we thank you for, God, your love, Lord Jesus, that you lavish on us, Lord God. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for Christmas and that it's coming in less than a week, Lord, and we just pray, Father, in the busyness of everything, God, we would pause long enough to hear from you. God, let us hear afresh and anew, be transformed, Lord God, by what you're saying to us. So open our hearts to hear from you this morning, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. I want to talk to you a little bit about carrying Jesus. Carrying Jesus is the biggest reward that you can have in your life and the biggest challenge that you can have in your life. And so read with me as you look at Luke chapter 1. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. It never ceases to amaze me. And and most of the times when I think about what I'm about to say next Comes around communion time, but never ceases to amaze me that Jesus would see us in our darkness, in our despair, in our sin, in our separation from God, and he would leave everything. I don't think we fully grasp that, or will ever grasp that, until we actually get to heaven and see what everything truly looks like peace, love, joy, heaven. That he would see us in our despair and choose willingly to leave light and everything and peace and step out from that into darkness and into sin and into dirt on our behalf. That he would choose to leave his kingship and come as nothing but a little child dependent on a teenage mother. He was born to carry all of our griefs and sorrows. He was born to be pierced for our sins, to be chastised to bring us peace. He was born to have his blood shed in order to bring us healing. He was born to bring us salvation and to restore us. And so Jesus would leave everything and show up here in human form and live a life, a challenging life, to bring us salvation. But in order for this to happen, someone had to carry him since he came as a seed, not even born yet. And so there was this young lady named Mary who stood out to God. And as we just read, she had found favor. She was highly favored by God. She was a righteous, good girl. And so out of all of the ladies on earth, this young lady was the one, because of her righteousness, because of who she was, her character, that God chose to bestow on her this great, awesome honor of carrying Jesus his son, into the world. You know, it's amazing how we look at favor. So many times you hear it so much, and especially with the prosperity gospel, where, oh, I'm, I'm highly favored, and, and we begin to interpret what that favor looks like. I'm favored. If I'm favored by God, it shows up in materialistic ways. If I'm favored by God, then I have all this money, or I have this big house, or I have this reputation, or I have all of these things. And that's how we like to interpret favor of God. It looks a certain way. Interesting what God says. Here's this young lady, and, says, and he says, you have stood out among all ladies. You are highly favored because of your righteousness, because of who you are, that I'm going to choose you to carry the greatest gift to the world, the greatest gift that the world will ever know. Because of your favor, the favor I found in you, it's going to be you. See, carrying Jesus for Mary would mean that she would risk everything. See, the favor of God on Mary led her to the possibility of losing everything. It didn't come with a big house and a grand salary and a great reputation. No, it actually came in the opposite way. Great favor led her to great challenge. Carrying Jesus for Mary meant she would risk everything. Carrying Jesus for Mary meant it would reroute her life completely. That it would turn her world upside down. Here's a young lady engaged with her life ahead of her, thinking about what it is going to be like. We happen to know that well right now with Courtney and Mac engaged and thinking and planning the future. And into this planned out life comes Jesus and her life will never be the same. She almost lost her fiancé because of it. I'm sure she lost her reputation because of it. So isn't this crazy? Here's this righteous girl who's finding favor with God, and God steps into her life, and her, and her life is just flipped upside down. Don't you wish that if God's going to show you that kind of favor, he would go ahead and tell everybody about it ahead of time? Hey, listen, she's pregnant, but don't worry. It's all good. Is this the kind of favor you want? The kind of favor where you almost lose your life's plans? The kind of favor where you almost lose your husband? The kind of favor where you lose your reputation? Because this is God's reward. You have found great favor. Uh, it, it intrigues me how it's in today's Christianity we can flip this because when we look at God's favor in today's world, we try and come up with other things that it looks like. It just doesn't quite line up with Scripture. And so God's favor is given to her, and she has this awesome, amazing job of carrying Jesus, the light of the world, the king of kings, the one who's going to restore and reconcile and heal. She has this amazing honor of having him in her belly and carrying him to this world. And she has at the same time the amazing challenge that carrying Christ brings. Because if you truly carry Jesus Christ, it is an amazing reward And it's incredibly challenging. If, as a Christian, your life isn't challenged by what you carry, you might have to question whether you're carrying Him. The minute Jesus entered Mary's life, her life was no longer her own, she would be rejected. Like I said, it would be great if, I'm glad the angel Gabriel showed up to Joseph, but Joseph was about to, di- to divorce her. You see, you see this in Matthew, it says because he was a, a just man, he was going to divorce her quietly because that's the just thing to do to your fiance who shows up pregnant and it's not yours. Okay? That's the just thing. And Scripture says he's a just man because he's doing this. And it took the angel Gabriel showing up to him, but the angel didn't show up to everyone. Would have been nice. I don't know if he showed up to her parents. And so here's Mary, and I'm sure her defending herself to all the people because I'm sure when that happened, all of a sudden was a lot of talk. Did you know? And I'm sure her saying, oh, it's the Holy Spirit probably didn't help much. All of a sudden into this righteous girl's life comes a reputation of quite the opposite. And Jesus didn't say, hey, listen, I'm going to take all of that away from you. I'm going to make sure that because you're carrying my son, you're going to have a mansion on a hill and you're going to have people catering to you and laying down because you're carrying my son and you're not going to have to worry about anything. No. He took the mother of the Son of God and she was placed on a donkey and she gave birth in a barn God's favor doesn't quite look like sometimes how we like to define it but it's nonetheless God's favor and so her life would be turned upside down she 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 would be rejected I'm sure when she planned out and they thinking with Joseph and they were thinking about their life and their firstborn it didn't take place in the barn but that's what happened. She would watch her son perform miracles and heal the sick and hear these amazing stories. And she would watch him hung on a cross and crucified. What an amazing treasure, what an amazing reward, and what an incredible hardship at the same time. Can you imagine the emotional roller coaster? as a mom, that you're wrong with that. And she'd watch him raise from the dead. And so to carry Christ is rewarding. But make no mistake, to carry the king of kings in this world will cost you everything. From the first time the first person carried him in Mary, it cost her. And she was highly favored, more than any other lady. And it cost her. Carrying Christ is the greatest gift. It's the greatest message to the world. But it isn't always safe. It isn't always comfortable. It's costly. We need to understand that. Because there's this interpretation right now, and I don't understand it because it looks like so many Christians are looking for a safe Christianity. Christianity. A Christianity where we can kind of camp out inside of safety. And somehow it's like we have our lives and Jesus is tacked on top. And, and the Jesus that we know and want to serve is a, is a God of grace and mercy and love. And he is, but he's a God that expects nothing from you. And we try and look at Jesus' love, but man, if you look at Jesus' life, man, everyone that he came into contact that would follow him cost them everything. And he gave them everything at the same time. And so as we look at this, I ask myself, what is Christmas about? We like to dress it up, I said this last week, with lovely little postcards and make the stable look beautiful, and Mary's happy little face on a donkey, nine months pregnant. If you haven't had a pregnant wife before, the last place she wants to be at nine months is on a donkey, riding the hill country of Jerusalem. Jerusalem just saying. It doesn't quite translate the way little postcards, but then we like to paint this beautiful little happy little picture to take away because we don't like the cost. I think of that song, how Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. It's hit me recently. I heard that a couple days ago. I've known that for a long time. It just hit me. It was like, what is a kiss? A kiss is this external show or display of love. But there is no essential deepness of love in a kiss, is there? It's an external display of love. But a kiss can be actually quite shallow. But it represents, a kiss is, hey, I love you. You mean something to me. And Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss as he's kissing him. This external display of love, there's absolutely nothing inside of his heart that would sell him out for his real God and money and gold. And that's my fear for the church, is that we're betraying Jesus with a kiss, is that we're showing this external act of love in our worship and our showing up in what we say, but in our hearts we're betraying him because there is no depth to it. It's hollow when it's empty. But it's done with a kiss of how we glorify him, but we don't bow to him and we don't worship him and we don't surrender to him. And the church begins to preach this complacent, safe Christianity and it looks nothing like Jesus. It never has and it never will. And if you look at the pastors who are living this way, neither do their lives. They don't look anything like Jesus. They never have and they never will because Jesus doesn't look that way. And so when you look at this and you go, man, to, what is Christmas about? Christmas is about Jesus sacrificing and leaving the glory of heaven because he sees us in our darkness and sees us in our sin. And he would dare to give that up and surrender himself and give himself to come here and walk in the muck with us to bring us new life, to bring us new birth, to bring us forgiveness, restoration, reconciliation, healing, grace, freedom, and most important, salvation. What is Christmas about? It's not about ease. It's about the challenges of bringing Christ into the dark world and what that looks like and the sacrifice and the glory as it comes together. Because Jesus leaving heaven is glory coming to earth. And so it's both glory and it's both dirt and it's everything coming together. And it's where the two meet. And Jesus, is Mary's life reflects that as well. It's reflected in how he was born. It's reflected in who carried him. It's supposed to be reflected in us. It's about light coming into darkness. Mary was the first person to carry Jesus. And guess who the next ones are? You and me. Because when Jesus ascended into heaven, he said, I must go that I might, that you might go out and that the Holy Spirit might be within you. And unless I go, he can't come. And so I am going so he can come into you and he will be in you. And you will receive the Holy Spirit. That means you have the Holy Spirit. You have Jesus inside of you. That means that you are now carrying, as Mary did, you are carrying the living message of hope of heaven, of glory. And so you have light in the darkness and and, and you embody that message. And then he says, now go out. You are to carry this gospel and this story to every corner of the world. And this message isn't a message that can simply be spoken. I, I can't simply get in the scripture and say, this is what the Bible says. No, it has to be seen, lived out, embodied in my life. If you look at Scripture, it doesn't tell you to read this. It tells you to live this. And it makes it challenging. This is how you love your enemy. This is how you sacrifice. This is how you do this. This is how you worship God. Nothing about read this and the magic words somehow get people saved and a box is checked. The greatest witness your life will ever be is not by what you say. It'll be by how it's lived out in you when they see not the blissfulness of your situation, but when they see the challenges of your situation and how you respond to it. That's the message of the gospel, when they see you sacrificing yourself and your world turned upside down as you carry Christ into the darkest places of this world, of your company, of your neighborhood, wherever God calls you to minister, that will speak louder than any scripture reading. They need to read the scripture in the way that you live. And the church as a whole is changing that message. We're turning church into a place of coming together and singing worship songs. And in fact, in my opinion, betraying Jesus with a kiss, this external show of love, but a true emptiness inside. And somehow, if we have enough of us doing it, somehow we'll get in our minds that this is okay. Listen, Christianity, it's not possible for Christianity to be boring. It just isn't. If your Christianity is boring, you're not following Jesus because when my God leads me, is anything but boring. It's a little more terrifying than anything else. And I want to be terrified, not because i it's not terror doesn't come from God. That's my reaction to the amazing things I see God doing. Are you carrying Christ? Am I carrying Christ? So this is the Christmas message we need to hear. This is the story that God wants us to take home to embody the message of Jesus. And that means that you who were favored by God, to whom is given much, great is, great is required from you. We don't need to think about that in materialistic ways. The bigger house I have, then that means I need to have people come stay with me. No, That's not what he's saying, he's saying, listen to you who have been invested and deposited the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the greatest gift ever known to mankind, the kind that can bring healing, the kind that can, can actually transport people from death to life, that has been deposited in you. You are a carrier of that message. And, and to whom much is given, you don't get bigger than that. Much is required. we're to follow Jesus. We have to embody his message. If we're going to follow Jesus, we've got to walk where Jesus walked. And the problem with that is you never find Jesus in the safety of a boat. You find him beyond. He doesn't hang out in safe places. He hangs out in the unsafe places. He hangs out in the places where it's a gut-wrenching thing for you to go. And with that, I want to kind of cross over into Peter and the boat. I know it's a weird Christmas message, but they go together. Because if we're going to carry Jesus, that there's this tension that happens with Peter and Jesus, and Peter's in the boat and Jesus in the water, and it's this tension of, I want to be where Jesus is, but I'm in the safety of a boat. And I believe that that really can capture a lot of where we can find ourselves in our walks with Christ, this inner desire to be with him, but the reality of what that looks like and that wrestling. Have you been there before? Just one of you? I think we've all been there. But that internal wrestling, and it's real, and the wrestling doesn't make you bad. The wrestling just means that, honestly, you have a great understanding of what you're actually about to do. If we're going to leave our comfort zones, or if we're going to embody the message of Christ, we have to be willing to leave our comfort zones. We have to be willing to get out of the boat. And when you step out of the boat, you cease to simply talk about Jesus, and you begin to live Jesus. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 31. I'm going to grab some water while you're doing that. Matthew 14. Verses 22 through 31. It's a story that we know well. It says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walk on the lake, they were terrified. "That's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And Peter got down out of the boat. He walked on water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? It's about 3 a.m. That's the fourth watch. Starts at 3 a.m. It's a bad time to see someone walking on water. But it's 3 a.m. And they're out there. and, 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 And here they are. Buffeted by the wind and the waves, the wind's in their face, and the waves are big. And you've got 12 men in a boat rowing their hearts out, probably not going very far and very quickly, wearing themselves out, doing what they can do. And all of a sudden, to their astonishment, they see something terrifying and amazing at the same time. And they look, and their first reaction is, This is impossible. This isn't normal. That's not human. That has to be a ghost. And they're terrified, only to have Jesus say, Don't be afraid, it's I. It's I. And he's walking on the very waves that are pounding them. He's walking on the very obstacles that are keeping them from achieving their goal of getting to the other side. Here's the crazy thing about this. They left a long time ahead of him. And if you read scripture, it said when it was time for him to go, he walked on water because they were considerably a long distance away. So here these 12 men are rowing their hearts out, doing what they can against very real waves and very real obstacles, and Jesus is making time and catching them while he's walking on the waves, not in the safety of a boat. Do you realize God can do more in the impossible than we can do in our safety? And what is impossible for us and what batters us, he walks on top of. And what holds us back, he makes time in. The picture I get here is of a church trying to make headway, trying to get to the other side on the commandment of God, go to the other side, and they're rowing their hearts out, overwhelmed by the obstacles, but they're not where Jesus is. And as they look, they see where Jesus is, and where Jesus is isn't in the safety of the boat that they're in. But he's walking on top of the waves, on top of the storms, unbattered, unbeaten, unshaken, not sinking, and making better time than they are. He's in the impossible. Sometimes I feel like, man, if the church doesn't wake up, we're no different. We are moving in human strength, rowing our hearts out, trying to move in obedience, truly love God, but too afraid to be where He is. But if we would dare to go where He is, we will get out of the safety of the boat and we will walk on the waves as He is walking on the waves. And so they're making headways and they're getting places, it's just wearing them out. They're doing it in their own power. And so here he is, Peter, and and Peter's rowing, and he's terrified, and he sees this. This can't be Jesus. Jesus was left back there, and Jesus is already caught up to us. And he sees Jesus walking on the water, and something happens in Peter's soul. It triggers something in his heart that the minute he sees it's Jesus, and Jesus says, don't be afraid, it's me. All of a sudden, Peter's no longer okay and satisfied in the boat. The waves haven't gone away. The storm hasn't subsided. All you hear is Peter now saying, hold on a second, Jesus, if that's you, why am I here? And I'm gonna take some liberties this morning because I like to think about what they're thinking because you know there's a lot of thinking going on. And I have to think that Peter maybe went back to the time when Jesus beckoned him to follow him. And maybe Peter was thinking, man, if Jesus is there and I'm supposed to be following him, why am I in the boat? Especially when he's doing a better time walking on the water than I am in the boat. And so he says this to Jesus. He says, Jesus, if that is really you, and I love this, and this is critical, so don't miss this. He says, Jesus, if that is really you, then call me out to come to you. And what I hear him saying is, Jesus, if that's you, I don't want to be by myself. I want to be where you are. Jesus, if that's really you, I don't have room to be. I don't have time to be in the boat. I don't want to be with the other disciples. If that's you, you've called me to follow you. I want to be where you are. So if it's you, tell me to come. Because he wouldn't move unless he knew it was Jesus. God doesn't call us out to do crazy things on our own. But God does call us out. And sometimes it looks crazy. And so Peter said, just, just tell me it's you. And I can hear almost the anguish. Or at least I think I hear it in my head where Peter's just like, man, this is, this is crazy. I cannot be here. I'm not satisfied in the boat, even when with every other person that loves God. I've got to be where he is. He sees the disciples in their overwhelming work in a boat, and he sees Jesus in the impossible. And in that moment, he's challenged. I'm sure he's nervous. He's afraid. He's confident. And all he knows is beyond the security of the walls of the boat, that means nothing to him. He gets to a point in his life where he just wants to be where he is. He doesn't say, God, calm the storm, calm the waves, or Jesus, if that's you, come get in the boat with us. I think most churches try and operate that way. Jesus, come join us where we are, where it's safe. But he says, Jesus, if that's you, call me. Call me out of safety. Call me out of complacency. Call me out of human strength and command me to come to you, and I will come to you. And Jesus says, come. Step out of your safety step out of complacency step out of the status quo of what everyone else is doing and dare to come to me and walk on the water and peter begins to get out of the boat have you ever jumped out of a boat into water you guys gotta live like everyone's no (laughs) my word if we were in the south like yep There's a difference how you jump out of a boat and into water, and then if you jump out of a boat onto a parking lot. How you brace yourself to land is different. Like, you don't go, oh, I'm going to the parking lot, and like, I'm going to go in. It's more like, oh, a parking lot, and then water. But he had to get out of the boat onto water as if it was land. Now, i try to imagine what that looked like, because all of a sudden, he's this mixture of, Jesus, I'm more than anything, I want to be where you are. Do you guys feel that? Is that alive in you? If it's not, you're missing out. But, but it's, it's, this, it's this internal, like, Jesus, I want to be where you are. More than anything, and Jesus says, come. And then he's like, oh, no. And so he probably gets on the boat, <laughs> holding on to the sides and lowering himself down or whatever it looked like. I mean, I don't imagine he just jumped out quickly and lowered himself down, putting his toes to see if it's solid or not. I don't know what He did. But he was getting out of the boat. And I can only imagine the other disciples were talking. They were going, oh, praise God. Look at that faith. What a man of faith. I don't think they were saying that. I think they were probably going, Peter, get back in the boat. You're not Jesus. What are you doing? Get back in the boat. And some of them were probably ripping him up. And some of them were probably going, oh, God, if he calls Jesus, uh, um, Peter out, right, uh, is he going to call me next because I'm not leaving the boat? Isn't this what happens when someone stands up in front of you and says, God's calling me to walk away from my job and to go here, and I don't know how it's going to happen. And you go, oh, and your heart begins to get nervous as if he's just spoken to you. And you're like, oh, don't look at me, God. Just let me blend in with everybody. And you begin to go, what would I do if he called me? And I think that that's just the human response, and I have to think the disciples were probably going, what would I do? Let me just sink a little bit lower in the boat so he can't see me because that's what we do, we like safety. We love God and we like safety. The question is who you bow to will determine where you go. We can't afford to like love safety over the miraculous and over God. We can't afford to row against seas in our own power and neglect the God who's walking on the seas and miracles. What this country needs and what our New England needs is not our ability to preach a good sermon or run a good church or perform well. What they need to see is the power of God that we can't handle, that can only be produced from a life that's manifesting out and living out the gospel, not talking about it, but living it. And that requires us to step out of the boat, out of our comfort zones, and it's a terrifying thing to do. But how badly do you want to be where Jesus is? And are you willing to risk the talk of everybody else saying to you, What are you doing? Get back in the boat. Jesus doesn't want you to do that. And the reason why they're saying it to you, I'm not saying they don't love Jesus, it's just that they're terrified that he might do the same thing to them. And so someone has to be wrong. And it's better for them if you're wrong than for them to be wrong. Because no one wants to get out of the boat. But someone has to get out of the boat. Someone has to walk to Jesus. Someone has to do this because that's what Jesus has called us to do. And if we don't live like this, the world will never see the miraculous God that can leave heaven and transform lives. They don't need to hear us talk about it or read about it. They need to see it lived out. That's what God has called us to do is to, to embody this life, to live it, to carry Jesus in front of people. And so Peter gets out of the boat And he begins to walk. And he begins to walk towards Jesus. Scripture says this. That means that if this is the boat, he begins to walk and he's doing okay. But here's the thing about getting out of the boat. Your confidence of walking in water is always higher when you're still in the boat. Right? I mean, this is Peter. He's like, God, just call me and I'll come to you. Because he's still standing in the boat. And when he's standing in the boat, he doesn't see the waves as much. All he can see is Jesus on top of the waves. But when you get out of the boat, the waves have a different way of showing up. Have you been there? If you haven't been there, you're missing out. I've been there a few times. There's an uneasy feeling when you're outside the boat because this is what happens. You begin to go, okay, there's the boat, and my first steps are with my hand on the boat. Because if God doesn't show up, I'm back in the boat. But at some point, you have to let go of the boat and take that next step. And all of a sudden, the safety of the boat's a little bit further behind you, and Jesus is there. And then you've got to take another step. And there's three things that are demanding your attention right now when you're walking here. Jesus is saying, look at me. The waves are saying, look at me. And the boat's saying, come back. Okay? There are three things really demanding your attention. The boat of safety, the waves that are real and not no joke, and Jesus who's walking on the waves. And that's when you're out in all three things. And at that moment when you begin walking on the water, all of a sudden the waves that didn't seem quite as big when you're in the boat actually really take on a little different meaning. You're out there and you're going, oh man, that wave's really big and it's coming right towards me. And you might think, oh, I walked over that wave, but that one didn't quite look like that. And you begin to be distracted by the waves that are coming, demanding that you look at them, and you begin thinking about the safety, but at some point now you're too far away from the boat, now you've got these waves, and and what do you do? What do you do? It's been... My experience and the times we've got out of the boat, not that I'm the most experienced guy, but I've done it a few times now. Um, And I wish I could say that every time I got out of the boat, all the fear went away. I wish I could say that the second guessing went away. I wish I could say none of that happened. I wish I could say I stood there in confidence declaring this is who God is, but it hasn't been that way for me. See, God will show up and he will move and he'll tell me to do something, and then I'll dare to trust him, and I'm full of confidence When I'm in the boat, and then I'll get out of the boat. And to give you an example, on the plane coming back to the states after leaving the mission field, coming back here because God told me to take this church, and there wasn't a a promise of an interview. And I thought these guys are going to think I'm crazy. I left nine months ago, telling them that God sent us to the mission field forever, and now God's sending us back. I wouldn't hire me. That's the truth. I wouldn't hire me. If I was sitting on the board, I'd be like, no not doing it. And I knew that in my mind. And coming back here, I was going, I have two kids. I have no vehicles. We sold everything. We're coming back to New England, the most most expensive part of the world. I have no idea. And as we're flying back, even though God gave me such a crystal clear dream, I'm flying back, looking at people on the phone, uh, on, the, on the plane. And I remember this lady was playing with her cell phone. And I remember thinking to myself, she has a cell phone because she has a job, because she can say, this is where my money's coming from. I don't have a job. I couldn't even get a cell phone, let alone take care of my family. I don't know what's going to happen. And as I begin flying, the anxiety begins to work up inside of me, and I begin second-guessing, going, did God really say... Did I really hear from God? And then I begin to replay all the steps. And I go back in my mind, how did we get to this point? And when I I replay those steps in my mind, it gives me peace because I go, no, this is what God has done. This is what God has done. But God never gives me all the answers. He never lays it out ahead of me and makes it crystal clear. He always tells me when I'm out of the boat, just take that next step. And so you learned to deal with this wrestling, this internal uneasiness where you recognize, and I value that. you know why I value that? I value that because it means that you really understand the gravity of the situation. It says about Abraham that he recognized the odds. He recognized the obstacles, yet hoped against hope. We're not called to be oblivious, oh, they don't exist. No, they exist. God is just bigger than them. And so as as you begin to walk and you sense this uneasy feeling and it's nerve-wracking and you think that I make a mistake, but then on the other side of that, when God shows up, you you use those thoughts of nervousness and that uneasiness and you now, those become building blocks in your life. Where you say, let me tell you about how scary this was or how afraid I was or whatever the case might be, and let me tell you how God showed up. Those thoughts and and the waves are part of God's process of building you and building me into the pillars of strength He wants us to be. And here's the thing about that I look at it and I go, I I look at my own life and see how it's built me. But more than that, when I talk to people, they want to hear these stories. You don't have these stories if you never get out of the boat. But it's these stories that change people's lives. They don't want to hear about the Scripture that means a lot to you because it just means a lot to you. They want to hear about how it was lived out in your life, how you embodied this, and how that Scripture came to life. And you saw the proof of God's love and His provision and His miraculous work. And when you're able to share those stories, people listen. And it does something in your, in, in your heart and mind, and you feel like you're on top of the world, and you get together, and you're like, yes! And people go, oh, you're such a person of faith, but you know. You're like, no, I'm the biggest coward in the world. I just didn't stop walking because I was too afraid to go back. I was too afraid to go forward. I just kept walking. I just kept walking. And At that moment, you think, well, maybe I can do this again, and I wish you could just check the faith box off and go, oh, completed. doesn't work that way because all of a sudden another faith move comes. And now you're like, oh, man, I thought i passed this test already. And then all of a sudden, God's calling. Is he really calling me? And then the faith gets big. Yes, I, as you were with me when I left the islands, you will be with me in the storm. And you get out of the boat and you walk. And you're like, oh, God, I've got to go back to the boat. And it happens. And don't beat yourself up when it happens. If it's not happening, I don't think you have an understanding of the gravity of your situation. Don't beat yourself up when it happens because it's normal. But here's the most important part of this. How you respond to those thoughts are critical. How you re- choose to respond to those thoughts will define where you go with God. When the boat is beckoning you back and the obstacles are telling you you're going to sink and Jesus is saying, walk towards me. It's in that moment That your decision that matters. What you focus on will overwhelm you, okay? What you focus on in that moment will overwhelm you. If you focus on Jesus Christ standing in the midst of the impossible, then you will be overwhelmed by his miraculous power because you will make it to him. If you focus on the obstacles and the wind like Peter did, then you will be overwhelmed by the obstacles and the wind and you will sink. And if you focus on the safety of the boat, you will be overwhelmed by the safety of the boat and you will go no further than those walls of those boats can find you to go. The question is where do you want to go? Where do you want to walk with Jesus? I'm not saying that the love is not there if you're in the boat. I'm just saying God's called you to live beyond the boat. But the wrestling is real. And God builds you in the process of it. He calls us to live this life. I found in my life that as uneasy as I can be in the midst of when I'm outside the boat, when I'm not outside the boat, I miss the feeling of being outside the boat. I miss the feeling of going, man, I'm stepping out into the impossible. Only God can do something now. It doesn't take away from how real the problems are and how scary they are. But I've got to the point now in my life where I now recognize the emotion. And and because of that, I go, I can't back out now. Because I know what can come on the other side. I don't have the answers. I wish he would calm the storm. And so here's the beautiful thing about Peter. Peter is overwhelmed by the obstacles, but he walked on water, my friends. This man walked on water. None of us have walked on water. And if you are, come up here and take over, please, (laughs) because I certainly haven't. But he begins to be overwhelmed by by the, the waves, and he begins to sink, and he cries out to God, and Jesus did not let him sink when he was outside the boat. Even when he got distracted, he grabbed his hands and probably with a smile said, what's the problem? (laughs) Oh, you're a little faith. He had to be a proud moment for Jesus because he's the only disciple that ever walked on water. He said, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? That's the most unfair statement Jesus ever made, I think, in Scripture, (laughs) is why did you think you couldn't walk on water? (laughs) This doesn't seem fair to me. I'm still wrestling with that one. But he looks at him and he says, why did you doubt? At no point during this whole walking on water process did the storm die down. Why is it that we as Christians almost demand in our minds subconsciously that the minute I get out of the boat, that's enough faith, and God now has to, he's required to stop the waters and make it easy so I can just walk on water like it's easy. No one told God that. And so God didn't calm the waters until they got back in the boat. God, that's the wrong time to calm the waters. Not when we're in the boat. When we're out of the boat. You get back in the boat, they calm the waters. What kind of church do you want to be? What kind of church do you want to be? What kind of person do you want to be? You need to think about that. To carry Christ is costly. Please don't fool yourselves. and Please don't believe the garbage that some people are preaching, okay? To carry Christ is costly. It's the most rewarding thing you will ever do in your life, and it will challenge your socks off. But someone's got to get out of the boat because what this world needs more than anything, they don't need my power. They don't need my strength. They don't need our ability to row this glad tidings ship together. They need to see us following Christ, walking on the impossible and seeing amazing things happen. There's two things I want to say. I'm proud of this church. I'm really proud of this church. Two years ago, we voted to sell the building. We had one no vote. That was it. Motivation's high when you're in the boat. Right? A few weeks ago, we voted to sell or accept an offer. When you voted to accept an offer, you just got out of the boat. You did. And the very natural thing to feel at this point is to go, oh, God, what did we just do? Right? Something when you start walking away and letting go, especially when God doesn't show you the whole picture. You can't see the end. You can't see the new building. That would be nice. God's supposed to bring that right now to make it easier for us. But he doesn't calm the waters. He has you walk. And you have to begin to let go of the old and walk towards the new. And in the midst of it, there are things demanding your attention. The love of the boat. The overwhelming nature of the obstacles and the waves. And then Jesus saying, keep your eyes on me. What you choose to focus on will determine where you go. In the midst of this, it's not unusual or normal. If you're not a little nervous, you probably don't understand exactly what's happening, okay? But I want you to know that how we respond in this process is where God defines us. The Israelites were built When they crossed the Jordan, I believe they took out Jericho. Jericho was conquered in the Jordan River. It wasn't conquered when they walked around the walls. They conquered it when they're in the middle of the river because it was in the river where they go, I know who my God is. And this is the thing that God is wanting to do in this church. He is putting you, he's allowing you to experience uneasiness so he can show you who he is. See, when they got back in the boat and the waters calmed down, we didn't read this part, but all the disciples said, now we know you, you are the son of God. Well, they gave him glory for being God. They gave him glory for his power. God is building that. What has been prophesied in this church is that we will see amazing miracles happen. We will see people's lives transformed. Let me tell you something. That never happens unless we walk outside the boat, unless we choose to go where Jesus is. And Jesus is never camped out in the boat. And so as a church, I want to encourage you. Keep your eyes focused on God. God is moving There are things happening. We just don't come out and say them all the time because we don't want to give you tidbits of information. Keep praying, all right? We want to be the church that God has called us to be. We might get grief from other people, but listen, I don't care about that. We want to be out there. I want to be where Jesus is. And our lives will challenge other people's lives. And that's us as a church. But this is about you individually. This is about where you are. Because God's calling you out as well. What's holding you back? Is there something that God has placed on your heart that you're wrestling with? There's that desire inside of you that everything in you is saying, man, more than anything, I want to be with Jesus and I feel like this is where he is, that this is where he's calling me to be. But then there's that wall of the boat that's just keeping you from going. Is that happening in your life? Are you carrying Jesus? The way Mary did, the way the disciples did. Would you stand to your feet this morning? I want to ask Pastor Rain to come and more than anything, we need to be a church that doesn't just talk about his word. We need to be a church that lives his word. We need to be individuals that don't just talk about his word, but live it. And God will call you at times to step out of your comfort zone, to dare to trust Him. And when He calls you at those times, I want to challenge you to do a couple things. The first thing I think you, you need to do is ask God, Is this you? Because you don't want to do it by yourself. The last place you want to be is walking in a storm or trying to walk on water when He's not out there. It's imperative that He's the one who's out there calling you out. There's a big difference. And you find it out by praying, and you find it out by fasting, and you don't find it out by him laying out all the process ahead of you. Some of us spend our lives waiting for the next steps to be shown to us and waiting for the storms to calm down before we'll move. I want to tell you, I'm not doubting your love of Jesus. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. All I'm saying is that you will never go further in the safety of your boat. And Jesus, remember this, Jesus was making more headway walking on stormy waters than 12 men could rowing in a boat together. You will go places with Jesus that you will never go by yourself, or with 12 other men who desperately love Jesus. And I want you to remember this. Out of those 12 people, the one who God left in charge of his church was the one who got out of his boat. Peter's the one. And after the Holy Spirit came on them, he walked up, him and John walking up and there's this blind man and out of all of these experiences, I believe it culminated in this where they look at this blind man and the blind man's asking him for silver and gold and these are people who are favored by God and his response is, I don't have any of that. I don't have what the world treasures. I don't have what you deem valuable. But what I have is more valuable than silver and gold and what I have, I freely give. What he said was, man, what I have is what you need. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And that man got up and walked. And when called before the Sanhedrin, he said, I don't know any theological explanation for what happened. All I know. So I was blind, and now I see. Would you bow your heads? More than anything, guys, I'll just be honest, is where I am, where I am as a pastor, where I am as an individual, more than anything, more than safety, more than position, more than title, more than anything. What I want is the what I do have that Peter referred to. What I do have. And the what I do have only comes when you dare to get out of the boat. Is this true of you? What's holding you back? And maybe you're out of the boat right now and you're distracted and and, and 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 maybe you're beating yourself up for it. Let me just tell you, don't. But just don't give in to it. Being distracted is, happens. Just shift your eyes to Him and you'll be overwhelmed by Him and His miraculous power. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive what God has for you who love Him you who will dare to bow before him and to bow to safety. I just want to pray, and then I want to ask a prayer team to come up and ask Pastor Rain to close us in worship. And if you need to pray or be prayed for, then just come to these altars and let us pray for you. Lord Jesus, we come before you. God, You, you lived this before we ever read it. God, you've called us not to read this alone, Lord Jesus, but to live it. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for their gutsiness. God, I thank you for, for just their, their daringness to trust you, Lord God. But I recognize, Lord Jesus, the, the nerves that can come. And I pray, God, you would calm every fear. I don't pray that you would calm the seas. Because I recognize, God, that you build us in the seas. So please don't calm the seas, but God, shift our eyes from the seas to you that we may see what you can do, Lord God, that we may be where you are, Lord God, and walk where you are, that we might bring the greatest message and the greatest gift that can ever come to this world, Lord God, that that gift can be seen alive in us, Lord Jesus. Let us be the church that lives like you, Lord God. And so, God, help us that they focused on you. Help us just to take one step after the next. And, God, we lay it all at your feet. And, God, I pray for each individual in this place. God, there are, there are people in this place that you are calling out of their comfort zones. There are people in this place that you are beckoning out of the boat, Lord God. And they're, and they're hung up, Lord Jesus. They so desperately in their heart want to be where you are. But, God, there's like this hook holding them back. I pray in the name of Jesus, break that hook. We don't ask for all the answers. We don't ask for an easy way, Lord God. We just ask for the courage to look to you, Lord God. And then there are people in this church that have left the boat and they're discouraged and they're a little overwhelmed. God, shift their eyes to you. God, let them be this living message of who you are. Let them be this living message of Christmas in their environments, where they work, in their neighborhoods, Lord God, in their families. Pray, Lord God, that this Christmas, that we truly would bring Christmas to people. And we don't have to be a church that complains about the word Christmas not being mentioned. God, it's so much more than a word. But God, let them see Christmas when they see us, Lord God. And let us penetrate the darkness with your light and your love that lives in us, we pray. Be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. These altars are open.